As we're studying through Colossians over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you not just to read it with us on Sunday morning, but I would encourage you to immerse yourself in the book of Colossians over the next several weeks. So I'm going to encourage you to read it as many times as you can. I'd say at least once a week. There's four chapters. It's not incredibly long, so uh, you can read through it pretty quickly. Uh, and, and I would encourage you each week to read through the book of Colossians in its entirety. There's a lot of richness in the book of Colossians. And one of the reasons why I'm excited to preach through it is because there's a lot of gospel and practical application in the book of Colossians. So before we delve into the first part of chapter 1, a few things you need to know about the book itself. It's one of the few churches that Paul writes to that he did not start. He wasn't the one who planted the church in Colossae. Instead, there was another man, we're going to be introduced to him, Epaphroditus, who is the one who actually began the church. And this man, Epaphroditus, has come to visit Paul and give a report about the Colossians. And so Paul is writing this letter to this young new church started by someone else as an encouragement to them. I also want you to realize that much like the other churches that Paul had written to, they have a, a, a specific um, problem that he is trying to address. And this specific problem that he is trying to address to the Colossian church is, is this clash between two different competing worldviews. Actually, we're going to look in details at that clash here in a few weeks. But I think it's fitting for us to understand we live in a culture with two competing worldviews. And so in, in this particular case, there is the faithful Christian church trying to live, and they're being pulled in two different directions. One direction was, look around you at all of these Greek gods. See all of these Greek gods, and the God of Christianity is just like these other gods. And so there was this pull of paganism into the Colossian church. This idea that you can worship all of these other idols and have Jesus as well. The other side of it was the complete pendulum swing. It was, let's return to the Old Testament idea that we know so well of who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so we understand that there is only one God, and as so, He needs to be worshipped just as the Jewish people have worshipped Him for the last thousand years. So you need to keep all of these Jewish practices and all of these Jewish principles. You have to, to obey these food laws. You have to be circumcised to be a believer in Christ. You have to follow all of these rules. So these two worldviews are crashing in on what is trying to be and what we're going to find is a, a faithful church. This worldview of live how you want and incorporate your God into your culture and separate yourself, add rules, and be legalistic. And Paul is writing to the, the church in Colossae. He wants to let them know that, that they are being a faithful, obedient church. And he wants to encourage them not to give in to these temptations of pendulum swings and these competing worldviews. Well, one of the reasons why I love this book is because I feel that this is a 2020 letter. I feel that it's written to our church, First Baptist Church. I feel like we understand this temptation to embrace this cultural paganism. Now, it may not be these Greek gods and these Greek idols, but it's this, this culture of, of you make your own rules and you make God in the image that you want him to be. And I feel like there's this other pull. Han and I have teased often 
Um, and, and I'd say only half teasing because, man, if, if we knew how to figure out how to do it, we'd probably already do it. Um, because of 2020, we've decided we want to create our own little village. Have you seen the movie The Village? Our own little commune where we go back to uh, before there was electricity and before there was all these distractions. And just a few families gathered together, cut off from the rest of society, not knowing what's going on with the culture, not caring what's going on with the culture. We just want our own little village. And if we could find several hundred acres, maybe several thousand acres, where we could build and set up camp. Uh, my father-in-law is pretty good with his hands. Would you help us build and you could come live with us? You could be the president, Clint. So uh, there's this temptation, right? Let's just separate and cut off. Let's follow all these strict guidelines and rules and let's, let's completely rebel against com- the culture in such a way that we're adding legalism. Quite honestly, that's appealing sometimes in 2020. Just to get away from it all, have these strict rules, these strict boundaries, and make then God not a God of freedom, but a God of of legalism. I feel like this is what we're living in. And so as we study the book of Colossians together over the next several weeks, I would encourage you to put yourself in their shoes and ask, how is it that I, as a believer in 2020, can listen to Paul's words written nearly 2,000 years ago and apply them to our current culture and our current situation. It also excites me to study through the book of Colossians because one of the most beautiful passages written about Jesus Christ is contained in Colossians chapter 1. We're actually going to study it next week. It's really kind of this capstone of who Jesus is as the creator, as the one who is in control of all things. Uh, Several Bibles, several translations have it written in poem form. You'll see it's kind of offset from others. Some translations put it in. We don't know if it's a poem or a song. Quite likely it was a hymn that was sung about Jesus Christ. And it is is full of rich theology. I can't wait to study that next week. As a reminder, it's not about rules. It's not about freedom of making God into our own image. It's about who Jesus is and what he's done. So we're going to delve into this book over the next several weeks. We're going to get to spend some time studying God's word together. And I would encourage you, read through the book of Colossians on a weekly basis. If you can get through it twice because you enjoy it so much, read it as much as you can. Can I tell you, there is something about committing yourself to over and over and over again studying a passage or a book of scripture so that it soaks in every time you read it you'll find i I missed this before and this is where it applies to me or or my situation has changed and now i can see why paul writes it that way so i'm going to lead us in this study over the next several weeks but i would encourage you to do your own study at home as well This morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 together. And Paul is going to share with us in this introduction to this letter, the impact of the gospel. The impact of the gospel. If you'd like to take notes, I've got got four ways the gospel impacts us. I'm sorry, five ways the gospel impacts us. My sermon's getting longer every time I I look at my notes. Now, we're going to go through them very quickly because 
There's a lot to each one. We could probably do a sermon on each, so we're going to try to condense it together. If you pull up our digital bulletin, uh, you can see uh, 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 an outline there that you can fill in blanks uh, on a, a sheet of paper. You kind of jot those down. I would encourage you to do that. Let's begin just by reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 together. He starts off, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from our God, uh, from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For, you have heard, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'm always hesitant to read 14 straight verses of deep theological passages because it's easy to get lost. So let's do a quick test this morning. It's just a, a quick raise of hands. If you are completely understanding of everything in those first 14 verses and you made perfect sense as we read it, can you raise your hand? Good, so you're with me the first time you read it. If you said there was a lot in there, Pastor, and I got lost a little bit, and I'm going to need to be walked through a little bit, can you slip your hand up? Good, you passed the test, and you're with me. One of the reasons why, why this message has five impacts of the gospel is because Paul starts this letter off with a bang. It's like, let me tell you all the ways that the gospel transforms your life. And it's like watching a really intense movie. It's so fast-paced that, that you have a hard time catching up. There are times that Hannah and I have watched movies, and we've looked at each other, and I said, what did he just say, and what just happened? And we pause and rewind and try to catch it again, turn the captions on so you can read it. There's just so much going on, it's hard to soak it in. Paul starts this letter off with a boom, boom, boom. Let me share with you how the gospel changes your life. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these five things down. We'll look at them one at a time. The first thing Paul tells them is that the gospel that was preached to you provides hope. The gospel provides hope. One of the reasons 
why the gospel is so appealing is because without salvation through Jesus Christ, there is no hope of life after this one. I've said it before, it's awfully depressing to think that if we died, this would be it. Hannah and I had a conversation just this week about, about preachers and modern-day preachers who uh, church historians will be, be studying. People like Billy Graham, someone who, who was alive in our, most of our lifetime, I think all of our lifetime in here. He was alive, in, and for many of you, you remember him preaching. And he'll be studied about years and years and years after his legacy. You, you think of people in church history like St. Augustine early on, or, or maybe a little bit later like Martin Luther. We think there are men living right now, theologians living right now, that will have a lasting legacy. A couple of names that I would encourage you to, to look into. One of them is still living. One of them just recently passed away. There's a man named John Piper who has written so much about the grace of God and about how we find joy in our relationship with Christ. I believe that church history people will be studying his name for years to come. Another one is a man named J.I. Packer. He just recently passed away. Not only does he have an amazing preaching voice to listen to, but some of his works on knowing God and understanding God's goodness to us in salvation will be works that are read for years and years and years to come. In Baptist circles, I believe as people study Baptist history, they'll look at a man named Albert Moeller, who's the current president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, and has, I can't even tell you how many books, again, about who God is and how God shapes the church. And I told Hannah, I don't think that people are going to be studying church history and going, and Trey Reed was pastoring at First Baptist Church in the uh, early 2000s, and uh, he preached these sermons and had this impact, and I really think that my earthly legacy, as far as being written in books, will be over when I die. My earthly legacy, when, when the Lord takes me home, is done. People a hundred years from now will not know who Trey Reed is. And if that was my reality, what's well, a pretty hopeless reality? That when I leave this earth, my earthly legacy is done. But salvation through Jesus Christ gives us hope because I do not believe that my legacy will end when I die. As a matter of fact, I believe that I'm the result of people's legacy that have gone before me. And you won't read about this man in books, but Charles Magzig is a name you could Google and probably not find anything on. Led me to Christ as a 10-year-old boy. One day he will pass away. He's, thank the Lord, living right now. One day he will pass away, but his legacy will not. Because the salvation he has passed on and shared, there is hope of future. My children will be part of my legacy. My grandchildren will be part of my legacy. The gospel message that goes out from this pulpit will be part of my legacy. Why? Because of the salvation that we have in Christ. It's not over at the moment of death. Here's how Paul puts it in verses 4 and 5. He says, Since we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says, We are so thankful because we've heard of your faithfulness and we know there's more to just your current faithfulness. There is a future hope laid up in heaven. 
One of the impacts of the gospel is that your legacy continues even after your earthly life ends. There is more to living than just here and now. We have a future hope laid up for us. And our faith in Christ gives us that hope. It not only gives us hope and provides hope for you and I sitting in here, but what we find is the gospel also extends hope. This is the second impact I want you to write down. It not only provides you hope, but it extends hope to others. It's not just that one day you will be in heaven, but the gospel message, the goal of the gospel is to leave these four walls of this church and bring that hope to everyone else. I don't know how many times in this crazy 2020 pandemic year of all these controversies culturally and physically and politically, Hannah and I have looked at each other and we keep saying, remember the goal. Remember the goal. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is not to to be right. The goal is that people would know hope in Jesus Christ. And there are times when it requires us loudly and boldly shouting truth at the top of our lungs. And there are times that it requires us lovingly putting our arms six feet away around somebody and saying, let me tell you what Scripture says about that. The gospel is not meant to be just your hope. The gospel's impact is more than just one life. The gospel is meant to impact the entire globe. Think about this for a minute. You have a responsibility to take the gospel as far away as you possibly can. As near as you can and as far as you can. Now for some of you that means you're going to get to go on a mission trip and share the gospel with someone over in another country. For others of you that means you're going to get to share the gospel with your barber or hairdresser. (laughs) Right? For some of you all, it's going to mean you're going to be internationally traveling. Others of you, it's going to be, I'm going to talk to a coworker. It's your responsibility to take the hope that you have and take it to everyone as far and near as you can. Listen to how Paul puts this impact in the gospel. In verses 5 and 6, he says, Of this you've heard before in the word of truth. You've heard the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed, listen to where it reaches, As indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing. It's come to you. As indeed the whole world, it's bearing fruit, it's increasing, and it does also among you. The gospel's intention is not to stay in one place. The impact of the gospel is to bear fruit in the entire world. Finishing out verse 6 and 7. Since the day you heard it, you understood the grace of truth as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. And then the implication is you heard it from Epaphras and then you're going to give it to someone else. And then they're going to give it to someone else. And then they're going to give it to someone else. I love this illustration we use in evangelism training on, on how to extend hope. And, and my numbers are a little fuzzy, but, but you'll get the general picture. If you could lead 1,000 people to Christ every single day for the rest of your life, you would put a pretty good dent in salvations in the United States of America. But if you could lead one person to Christ, who then would lead one person to Christ, and then you each would lead someone else to Christ, and then they would lead someone else to Christ, 
in 16 and a half years, the entire population of the world would hear the gospel and be saved. The hope isn't meant to stay with you And it's not meant for the preacher or the Sunday school teacher to be the sole responsibility for sharing it. No, the hope of the gospel, the impact of the gospel is that it would extend hope to others. And Paul is enlisting the church in Colossians. You, just as you've heard it, share it with others. The third impact of the gospel is the gospel expands our understanding. It expands our understanding. We read, as Paul writes in verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you, and we're asking you to be filled with knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The gospel transforms our lives and our actions, but it also must first transform our mind and our understanding. Listen to Paul's prayer. His prayer here isn't, I pray that you have stronger faith, although I think it's implied. His prayer here isn't, I I pray that you would do more right things. His prayer isn't, I pray that you would be a super Christian. No, he says, I've not stopped praying for you. We've not stopped praying for you, that you would be filled with knowledge and understanding. When we understand the gospel and how it changes our lives, when we understand God's word, when we know what the Bible says, it transforms then how we live, it transforms our actions, It makes us stronger Christians. Paul's going to write elsewhere in Romans that the key to Christian growth is not doing a bunch of rules and practicing a lot of of legalism. Instead, it's renewing your mind. The impact of the gospel is it, it changes the way we understand things. It causes us to want to know more so that we live better. The gospel expands our understanding and helps us to know more of who God is so that we can more faithfully do what he's created us to do. And the more we understand, the more it leads to the fourth impact of the gospel, and that is that it changes actions. The gospel changes actions. Here's what I I found. I I really like tinkering with things, and I'm not very good at it. I found that um, if I have a project to do, it usually takes me probably, like, say, two hours to do what someone normally would do in about 10 or 15 minutes, right? I, I just, I enjoy doing things, but I'm not good at it. So if I'm in a hurry, I'll call Odie and say, Odie, I need your help. But if I want to do it myself, I'll just take some time, knock out an afternoon. But here's what I found. When I do it once, it may take me two or three hours. When I understand how, say, uh, a, a small machine works and I take it apart and go to put it back together, when I do it a second time, it takes me a shorter amount of time. If I have to do it a third time, I can do it more efficiently. And the more I know about the little thing I'm working on, the more I understand how to do it again. It changes how I'm able to practice. So for instance, a few months ago, actually uh, before the pandemic started, I believe, um, we had uh, water down in our basement. And so I realized my sump pump was broken and, and I needed to replace the sump pump. So, of course, I call some experts and they tell me what I need to do. And I get down there and and what should be for these experts, a a five minute job, pull the old one out, put the new one in, took me the better part of all morning. And guess what? It worked for about half an hour and then it broke again. (laughs) So we tried again. This time, instead of taking me all morning, it took me just half the afternoon, but I got it working again. It got it pumping. And what do you know? 
The next morning, you wake up, and there's water in the basement again. I had to work on that thing three or four times, which is why I'm not an expert. But as I start learning more about how a sub pump works, it's really a simple machine, the more I realize, there's just, I just need to put a brick here and make a tweak here. And, and all of this, what took me all morning to do, by the second day it was half an hour. I'm down there, I fix it, I fix it correctly, and what do you know? It works. The more we understand, the more we are able to act. And the same is true with the gospel. The more you know God's word, the more you understand who God is, the more you understand why he does the things he does, because it's revealed in scripture, the more we want to live like him. I've got to be honest. I think I know why Christians don't act like Christians. And it's a really easy fix. I think the reason why Christians don't act like Christians is they don't know what Christians are supposed to act like. If we would study the Word of God, grow in understanding and knowledge, you would be shocked at how it would change your actions. This is what, what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God. It's this reminder again that the more you know, the more fruit you will bear. The more you understand, the more it changes how you act. The gospel message changes our actions. And then finally, and I will say most importantly, the impact of the gospel is that the gospel restores favor. Specifically, it restores favor with God. The impact of the gospel in your life isn't just that you know more. It isn't just that you change how you live. It's that now you are a son instead of a slave. It's now you are a child of God instead of a a rebel against him. I I, I like this particular verse. I'm going to tie it in here in just a moment. Um, Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. So there's two things I want to look at in this verse that help remind us that the gospel restores favor. The first is that it qualifies us to share in an inheritance. In other words, you go from being someone who is against God to someone who receives all of his blessings. You go from being a rebel to a child and you receive an inheritance, namely that hope of heaven. It restores us into a right relationship. But here's the second thing I want you to key in on. Who is it that qualifies you for the inheritance? It's the Father. I think this is where Paul is trying to say, it's not all the rules you're trying to follow. It's not being a a proper Jewish Christian. It's not circumcision or food laws. Nothing you do can make you a child. I've got three amazing children. Three wonderful children. Not a single one of them was responsible for being my child. They didn't choose it. They didn't pick it. They didn't decide one day, I think that maybe I'll be born to Hannah and Trey. No, it was the father and the mother, right? It was the parents who took action to to have their children. In the same way in our faith, it is not you who qualifies you to be God's son. You didn't decide one day, you know, I think I'll be blessed by God. No, it was the father who sent the son who said, I will be a blessing 
I will be the one who does all the work to make you my child. And the gospel restores that relationship. We read in verse 13 and 14, powerful verses. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The gospel has not just changed how you live. The gospel has changed you. It's not just that God gave you a new way of living. God gave you a new nature. You no longer are walking in darkness. You no longer are a a child rebelling. Instead, you are an obedient son. You have redemption, restored favor, and you have forgiveness of sins. Paul begins this book of Colossians by reminding us that the gospel is more than a set of rules or more than just a casual lifestyle. The gospel changes everything about us. A theme of this book over and over and over again is going to be that gospel transforms every part of your life. There is no part of you that should be the same once Jesus Christ becomes your Savior. And so this morning I ask, have you experienced the saving, impactful power of the gospel? Do you know the hope of Jesus Christ? Do you understand that it reaches every corner of this room and every corner of this globe? Have you experienced the growth in knowledge in God's word because of your salvation? Has it changed the way you live? Do you have redemption? Do you have forgiveness? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you have, you have offered us this gift of eternal life and eternal hope. Lord, we take for granted so often how simple it is to trust you. At the same time, Lord, we, we too often are, are oversimplifying things by saying we, we'll just do things our way. Lord, let us not be like the people in Colossae who were who are going with the culture and let us not be like the people of Colossae who are adding rules and regulations. Let us be people of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it change the way we think, the way we live. Let it change our very nature of who we are. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.